This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I mean, I, I obviously talk a lot about Very. technocracy and transhumanism and everything, but over the years, I think my, my progression has gone from, uh, like I said, I was jock artist in high school, long hair, rock and roller. I, I didn't consider myself liberal. I wasn't into politics. I was just a rebel. And so then you fall mm-hmm. into this yeah. sort of ultra conservative mold, and then you start to break free of that, uh, and you become more of a rebel again, you know? And so I, I see it uh, like, like, like it's, it's funny you bring this up because I grew up around a lot of cops, right? Uh, with my, my father, I went in a lot mm-hmm. of cop bars when I was a kid with him. He was a private investigator, so he'd be meeting with his cop buddies and getting information from them on different cases he was working on. And so I grew up and hearing all these different stories. Now, the, the, the vast majority, my dad would always say, oh, there's bad cops out there, like vicious, horrible guys. But even with people like my father and his friends, they believe they were like part of a team, right? They're the Harlem Globetrotters. And when they put on the uniform, they're going out to beat the uh, Washington uh, generals or whatever the team was. And, And that's how they looked at it. So you'd hear these stories... Uh, and now when, when you look at it in context and you understand uh, constitutional rights, and you go, oh, my God, they were doing horrible stuff to people. I mean, look at the case of uh, Eric Gardner from 2014. He was the heavyset guy in New York City where he was selling the Lucy cigarettes. And the cop uh, choked yes. him to death. Now, it's the same thing with that cop. I never look at that cop as a guy who went and looked in the mirror this morning and said, I'm going to go out and kill someone today in cold blood. He was enforcing right. a law right. that the politicians in New York put into place, which was all about taxes and not allowing people to sell Lucy cigarettes uh, because it, was, it wasn't going right. to bring in the tax dollars. But that cop goes out there uh, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm saving the public against these law-breaking people and the next thing you know that's what they're just manhandling folks throwing them around that one went a little too far and the guy ended up getting killed but what happened back then we were so divided in this sort of left right conservative liberal stances and labels you couldn't have an honest conversation with anyone because i was in conservative circles at the time if i ever brought up the fact that wait a second uh you know that cop was in the wrong he should have said i'm not going to enforce these stupid laws that's how that's how it would have actually uh, been solved from day one then I'm not going to go out and enforce these oh, unconstitutional yeah. laws but they don't do that even though you said their oath is to the constitution the state and the federal constitution not to the laws that the politicians pass exactly exactly but then we're so brainwashed well this is the system we're in this is and I had a sergeant that was like you know I remember him saying well the constitution is a living breathing thing and I'm like no it's not I didn't say that, but I'm like, no, it's not. But that's where we think it's got to change. It's got, but if it changes, well, it's just like Spooner. You know, the Constitution has either empowered the government that we have or has been powerless to prevent it. In either case, it's unfit to exist. The first time I read that, and I got, you know, listening to Legal Man, I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm like, you know, because you're raised the Constitution is some holy document. 
but it's when you start looking at not only the laws violate it, but there is even because you know you go through history. But when I was a kid, I didn't care about history. My wife did, but there was the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. They didn't even agree on things. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was no it was no our founding fathers. Well, they did this. Well, they did some of them did, and some of them didn't. You know, so right. there's there's always been that that friction. But we look back at history and we go, well, you know, all of our founding fathers were on board with this. No, they weren't. That's how yeah. we ended up with the Bill of Rights. Exactly. You know, there, was a, there, there, there was there there was a fr- but there there the was a friction. Amendment. But we believe there was a friction. But we believe in the fiction. And and generally, it's you know people that identify as right. conservative latched on uh, to a certain fiction of the founding and the Constitution. But and and we think we own it. But yet there were liberal, so-called liberal, self-identifying liberal civil rights attorneys who believed that they're defenders of the Constitution. Right. So they yeah. have their own sort of Absolutely. take on this thing. But when you go back, th- this is where I started to pull myself out of all of this was years ago when I would listen to, you know, say Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, then eventually like Michael Savage, then Glenn Beck as he started to grow. And so you, you would latch mm-hmm. onto this idea of the restoration of America. And it, it was long before I started listening to uh, Legal Man. He has the podcast, The Quash, folks. I've had him on the show a couple of times. Br- brilliant guy. And he covers, uh, as Justin mm-hmm. just mentioned, Lysander Spooner, who's written uh, several pieces. Uh, that's Trial by Jury, if you want to learn about jury nullification and such and so um Mm -hmm. when i started to realize that i was just a a bumper sticker slogan idiot was when i talk about restoring america and i say well wait a second in our founding there were 13 colonies two and a half million people only a half a million voted now we're three thousand miles wide we have 375 million Mm -hmm. people 700 military bases around the world territories all over the place uh 50 states We're not even the same thing. So how can we believe that we can restore America? Restoring America would mean bringing back slavery, women don't vote, only white uh, landowning men vote. Now, I've done shows on this, and I said I'm not taking a stand either way. I'm not saying if that stuff is right or wrong. But you can't believe you live in a system that is the same system of 1776 when it is not the same system at all. It's not that we're not in that system anymore. Exactly. That's long gone. Right. It, it, it's a, it is. You're absolutely right. And that's hard to accept. It's hard to accept. And one of the things just that, you know, brings that up in my mind was I was standing at my park, my driveway here, uh, probably seven years ago, talking with my dad. And dad was in, the Viet- in Vietnam. He was in the 101st Airborne. And he was standing there talking to me. And I remember him saying, he, quote him, he said, son, if I had known what this country was going to become, I would have never fought for it. And that damn near floored me. I'm like, who are you? I didn't say that, but I'm looking at him like, what just came out of my mouth? You know, but you're, you're right. It's not the same country that it was the 1776, let alone to the 1960s. I mean, look at how drastically things have changed since just you and I were children. It's, it's, it's un, almost, it's unrecognizable. You know, it really is. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that's, it it was uh, Thomas Paine, Mike Moore, on the Thomas Paine podcast after the Fetterman um, Oz election, because Mike is is outside, right outside of Philadelphia. And he had brought up, uh, Mm -hmm. he's got a pretty big Twitter account. Used to have a bigger one, but it was was banned and censored. And he had written something about he's sick and tired of the cities 
basically controlling who becomes the senator when the rest of the state of Pennsylvania is red. But that's what I pointed out. I said, listen, I ran all the numbers on the show. I said, if you went back to the founding when only white landowning men voted, then your problem would be solved. Because if you look at home ownership in the cities versus the rural areas, I said, but this is why, like, stop beating your head against the wall. If you just go back in history yeah. and look, that answers your question right there. I mean, that's why you can't yeah. win anymore. So you can't keep back. This is yep. why I try to tell folks. It's once you truly unplug from the matrix and you actually look at all the changes throughout history, not to say that system was right in the beginning. I'm just saying it answers the questions as to why you believe you're losing now. Because the system is different. It's completely yeah. changed. Even in the way that we pick senators. You know, in 1913 in this country... Yeah. We created the Federal Reserve. We really uh, uh, beefed up the IRS. It had sort of existed in different forms. We created income tax, and we changed how we select senators. Mm -hmm. Senators were selected by your state legislature. So you voted for your state uh, representative. Then they got together. They picked the senator. That automatically created term limits because a guy would serve one term. They'd pull him out. They wanted a new guy in. Everybody wanted their chance at having a little power. So once we changed that and made it a statewide race, that completely changed it. You have the, the senators. It, it's not even the same system anymore. It's not the same system, you know. Right. And people, like yep. you said, have You're a very exactly hard right. time accepting this because we tend to, and I find this more with uh, people that identify as conservative or MAGA or Trumpers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in modern history here. Uh, have a hard time because yeah. they have this sort of nostalgia in their head, but I think they're even looking at or believing in a system that never actually existed. I think it, it's pretty much a fiction inside their head. It, it truly is. You're absolutely, and, but that's part of that's part of. I know you know just listening to you talk about your history, your life. It, it's it, that's a hard truth to come to. It, it is. I went to the same thing. You know, a lot of people that I'm running across on social media, it, you're seeing that there. It, and I think I came up this several years ago. It, it came in my mind. I'm like, you know, seeing the truth is pretty easy, but leaving the lies, that's dang near impossible. And it really is. I mean, and I don't, I'm not saying that you may recognize the truth, but you can see it. Now what you do with it and mostly more often than not. And if you look at, like you say, the matrix, you look at the political, the political system, the financial system, uh, the food system, everything. It's emotional. It's emotion based. They get us, you know, it's the whole red ant, black ant in a jar deal. They don't do anything until you start shaking the jar. What's been going on in this freaking world for the last, you know, 20 years, especially the last three years, they're shaking the hell out of the jar and everybody's at each other's throat. There's no critical thinking until you can step back and think about it. And because if you're emotional, you're not going to make rational decisions. You, you just can't. No, you can't. And it used to be conservatives that would criticize uh, liberals or it would be left brain folks, sort of analytical thinking folks that would criticize the right brain, more creative brain folks. Because we would mm-hmm. say, oh, look at the left. They're so emotional. They act on emotion. But the people that identify on the right don't realize that they're doing the same exact thing you know they're doing they're doing the same thing now let me ask you this because you brought it up over the last um 20 years i would say particularly really really since uh probably the obama presidency and then really under trump 
during the Trump presidential race. Do you feel like there has been this intentional, and, and I personally believe, my opinion is, the elites wanted this, this intentional lifting yep. of the veil uh, to show that the system is corrupt, uh, there's criminality, sedition, treason, you know, in the traditional sense going on all around us, elections are fake, fraud everywhere, it doesn't even matter if there's fraud because both candidates you choose from don't represent you to begin with, um, and they're intentionally doing this in a way to sort of debase the brand. I, I personally believe it's to make everyone eventually completely disgusted with the system that they can then offer a new system, probably governance by an artificial intelligence or something like that. But it doesn't it feel like they've unveiled it uh, and allowed us to see more of it on purpose? And I know it's on purpose because... The folks that we look at in the media and the people who have big voices in so-called independent media, they're they're all controlled as well. So they wouldn't be allowed to speak out and uncover all this if the system didn't want them to uncover all this. I feel like it's an intentional push to just completely debase the brand uh, and drive people sort of, oh, you know, yeah, you see that? Yeah, I do. It, well, you look at who owns the media. I mean, look at who owns the media, who owns the pharmaceutical industry, who owns the medical industry. It's the same people. The same people own it. You know, and like you're saying, the the controlled opposition, the gatekeepers, whatever, they, you know, you start talking about things and, I mean, first thing you're labeled as a conspiracy theorist. I mean, okay, I'll take that as a badge of honor at this point, you know, <laughs> but they don't. Yeah, I, it, and the way they, the things that are being thrown out, I, we don't even watch the news anymore. It's been years since we've even watched it, but you know, being on Twitter and, you know, stuff here and there, you'll see that on YouTube, the things they throw out, you're just like, how, like the whole January 6th thing. I mean, I was, a, you know, did that job for 13 years in law enforcement. Okay. If that was the insurrection, where the hell are the weapons? <laughs> Why were the cops opening the doors? I mean, I remember, and I'm, this was, I was, I had, but when Trump got first, first got elected, I saw his connections because I was looking into stuff and I saw his connections with the Clintons and I saw all this stuff. And I'm like, this guy's not that we don't want this. This isn't good. And I was still political at that time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, then, and I remember talking with friends, people that I'd worked with in law enforcement, and I'm like, this guy is not what you want. He's not. Then he gets in, and I, I, just, I just unplugged from it all. I'm like, I can't even watch this anymore. He was saying all the right things, but then I saw other things going on, and I'm like, this guy... Well, I mean, he, he's an actor, right? I mean, he had his own TV show. It was all drama. None of that stuff's real. And then you're, look, you're watching all this stuff, and I'm like, holy crap. You know, this is, this is – everybody was all up in arms. Everybody was at each other's throat. You know, and now they don't it, – it, Biden, I mean, my God. <laughs> you know, you can't uh, – you know, you just look at him and you go, how can anybody even – this guy belongs in a home. If he's really alive, he belongs in a freaking home. But no, he's still paraded on the public stage. 
there's there's no people don't even care about it. They just accept it, hook, line, and sinker. They argue about their you know the the con the constitutional conservatives argue their points, but they never get to the root of the problem. There's no there's no getting to the root. There's no attempting to truly solve it because everybody's emotional. And I think you're absolutely right. They did want to start to reveal it because it's going to get to the point where people are like, we got to something's got to change. And like your whole technocracy thing, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't even know what Bitcoin or anything crypto was until two years ago. A friend of mine in Canada got me into it and started looking into all that. And the CBDCs, they're not coming. They're here. They're already testing it, you know, oh, at the yeah. lower level in America. Every nation's looking into it. You know, and when you look at who won't, you know, the central banks, I mean, you got to look into that. You know, I mean, I watched a 10-hour documentary from uh, Truth Truthstream Media on YouTube. They did a 10-hour documentary Federal Reserve from the beginning all the way to today, well, to a year ago. And you just go, holy crap. And nothing's even hidden anymore. It, it, they don't because I think they do want to change it. They want to completely change it all. I mean, look at Elon Musk. The guy's a complete puppet. I mean, he hates AI, but we got to do it. Sorry. <laughs> do you have any kind of morals? Do you have any kind of spine? Yeah, he does, but he, he doesn't care. I mean, he's a government. He lives on government subsidies. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Look into it. He does. That's his business. SpaceX, right with NASA. I mean, he's making money. He's getting money on that. It's not self-sufficient. I mean, he didn't create Tesla. I mean, think about this. Tesla would be, Nicole has got to be rolling over in his grave that they even perverted his name on that freaking, those freaking vehicles. In the 1900s, they had electric cars. They had electric cars in the 1900, early 1900s. And they had hooked up um, belts to their front axle to run a generator that, guess what that did? Huh, it charged the batteries while you're driving. Do we have them now in our electric vehicles? No. You know, but your gas vehicles, my, my, my diesel pickups, they have a generator. So when I'm driving it, what's it doing? Oh, it's charging the battery. And we're so stupid, they don't even hide that. But do people think about it? No. Well, so when everybody goes to electric vehicles, and I can't because I live in a very rural area, and I haul horses and cattle, I can't have an electric vehicle. I, it's just not feasible. Plus, they don't have any. So when, when all of a sudden you can't, because, you know, weather, storms, natural, you know, disasters, the electric grid goes down. I mean, it happens here several times during the winter. How are you going to charge your car? Well, if you could charge it while you're driving it, you wouldn't have to plug the some buck in. <laughs> yep. No, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like you just said, I mean, Musk is a puppet. Any, any of these kind of guys that people start to worship as their savior, and when we've done it here on the show with many mm -hmm. of them, you look behind them, it takes 15 minutes, you find out that they're all getting uh, billions upon billions of dollars in government contracts, uh, most of them have their startup companies that were funded with InQtel, which is the CIA's venture capital firm. I mean, it only takes a matter of minutes yeah. to find this stuff. It does, and yeah. then you're supposed to believe Elon Musk is battling the government. But Elon Musk is an extension of the government. He works for the state. He's really just a salesman. Yeah who goes out there and pushes this stuff into the mainstream, similar to a Steve Jobs going out there on the stage back in the uh, before he was dead and, and pushing the uh, tracker into your pocket, which is the iPhone. You know, I mean, he was the guy who was sent out there to sell yeah. that on us. So all of these guys yeah. are really part of... And, uh, it, yes. 
Yeah. Oh, to that point, think about this. This is something that, that people don't even think about. Farming, ranching, they all, not all, but and that's a general statement. So I know that there are those out there. I have friends that don't get it. But just this year, this is the guy working for me up on the mountain. I'm going to you know, get into that later. But my job, I take care of cattle on the national forest for four months of the year. So I hired the guy that rode with me. And his old boss, a rancher, they, they file, because we've been in severe drought here for a while, they're able to file for government assistance through, um, I don't remember what they call it exactly, but they get, because of the drought, they can file for government assistance because of the droughts going on. You don't even have to own the land. If you lease land from somebody, you can file and you can, and this, we're talking like, few, you're talking like $40,000. That's more than I make in a year. But they're given these ranchers and farmers, farmers are paid to not farm. They're paid to farm specific crops, what the government says. So we talk about guys like Jobs, Musk, this kind of stuff at the big level, the, the, the people that are in the public eye. Look at the people that are doing, that are involved in the food service industry. I mean, not food service, but produ food production, ranching and farming. It's even crept, crept into that level. And it's, it's been going on before, I, before, way before, I mean, within the last 20 years or longer. You know, yeah, I, remember, I, think I, re that. I think I remember the so first. They're not going to speak against the people that are feeding them. Yeah, I think I think I remember the first big one that I had read about years ago was when we started paying the farmers to turn all the corn into ethanol corn. And they were paying them, uh, yeah. subsidizing them, paying them for the corn above the price that they would get to uh, sell it as food. And, and I remember just back, this was just common sense. I'm saying, why am I going in the grocery store and seeing corn that comes from Mexico instead of corn that comes from mm -hmm. the U.S. and then we're taking all our corn and turning it in to ethanol? But see, this is how the system works from Elon Musk mm -hmm. down to these little guys you're talking about because the system injects all this money. And the food coupons, which are the money, uh, are what drives mm -hmm. the system and how they control the 99 percent yep. like i always say the guys at the top the international banksters the economic terrorists they don't they're not driven by money they're driven by power and control okay when you own the printing press yep. that prints the dollars or you own <laughs> the server that's going to mint the cbdc tokens you have endless money you could come out of the printing press room with bags of cash and then walk around saying you're the mm -hmm. richest man in the world as long as you and i accept that currency they are the richest man in the world so they don't care about the money. Right. They use the money to bribe all of us and to keep us, you know, churning yep. within this system. Unfortunately, the system that they've been having us build, you know, is this technique, this technocracy that we are moving mm -hmm. into. Now, you just mentioned the the ranching stuff. So let's let's talk a little bit about that because it's interesting. So you actually go out on a on a horse. Is that what you do? Yeah, I actually cowboy for a living. Um, not the title, you know, the, the movies kind of stuff, but <clears throat> so this started, my great granddad was the very first one in our area back in, I think he started in 1904 there on the, on the national forest, they have allotments, grazing allotments, and they're an ownable, they're an asset commodity, whatever the ranchers own them. There's a deed to it. And so they, you work with the forest service. 
and you we turn the cattle out on the mountain and the ran- the ranchers pool together on different allotments and then they generally they either ride it themselves because this is this is in it's like i mean i'm in the i'm in the i'm in the forest i'm on the national forest i mean where i live where I, where I go up the first lower camp i'm at about 45 30 to 45 minutes away from home during the as the summer as the cattle move to the higher country and higher country here is between you know, nine and 11,000 feet elevation. And this is an area where people, I mean, it's, it's very remote, 1900s type of stuff. You know, there ain't nowhere to get, you can't, you cannot move and handle cattle in any kind of a modern way. It's horseback and ropes. I've got a doctor room. I watch the feed. Um, that's the, you know, that's, that's my job is to take, take care of the cattle, keep them healthy and manage the feed so it doesn't get overgrazed. Um, and so, yeah, it's my job is roping and doctoring cattle, moving them where they need to be to to manage the land and keep everything healthy. And so, yeah, there's technology is it can't take that job away. But again, so what they're how, doing how, is they how, are how, how decreasing many, how, the numbers. How, how many cow, how many cattle are we talking? Um, on the allotment that I ride, it's one thousand nine hundred and fifty-eight um, pairs. So that's cows and calves, um, and then every they they require one bull for every twenty four cows. So somewhere around it just depends because some some years the guys have are lower numbers, some years they're right at their numbers. It just depends on um, you know how hard they've had to cull the year before, you know. So somewhere between three thousand and thirty five hundred head of cows that I've got. And I ride a 43,000, almost a 50,000 acre allotment. Just the allotment itself is 43,000, but then um, there's some other allotments around it that, are, that have been let go. There's no fencing between us, so the cows go there. So, I mean, 50,000 acres is, it's a lot of land. And this is land that people don't even understand, can't even fathom existing. I've talked to people that can't, I work for a ranch in Wyoming she had a 9,000 acre ranch and she, when I was, I was explaining to her interviewing for the job and explained to her what I did, she was like, I wouldn't even allow my cows to be there. I mean, this is areas where I've ridden downhill into, into basins mm-hmm. where literally my feet, the bottom of my feet are at, the, at my horse's ears. It's that steep going up and down and you got to go get cows in there and you got to bring them back up. And you know, it's, it's, you know, man for the, you know, I don't know how many people are familiar with the man from snowy river anymore, but that's kind of child's play type of stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to what we do. So people understand, are these cattle that end up uh, in the grocery store? Yes. Okay, yep. so this would, this would be like, you know, ground beef and steaks that you would get at, at the grocery store, or, or are these more organic uh, cows that end up sold out of a farmer's market? No, the, all the guys I work for, Generally, how it works when you're in a rural setting like this is all the ranchers, most of them around here, they're, you know, they take their cows to it. They can take them to a sale barn, you know, if they're culling. Um, they have wheat calves or whatever, wheat cows, old cows. They'll take them to the sale barn and sell them. But generally, what they do is they, they'll sell them on contract. Usually in like June or July, they, they meet with a, a, a beef producer, or not producer, but uh, I can't remember what they call them right now. But they they buy the cattle, so they'll mar- they'll buy them on the futures contract, 
And some years they, they do good. They sell them at a higher price than because the market goes up and down. So oh, by are the time they, they sell they like them, a, a the processor? November, what's that? Are they, are they like a cattle processor? Is that what they are? Uh, kind of. That's not yeah. the right word, but they're, they're more of a broker. The broker buys oh. them, and then they, they like the feedlots. But okay. then there's also one, ran- one of the ranchers that, that's on the pool. He maintains his cows all the slaughter. He owns, he keeps, maintains ownership of them. So he, he ships it. When he takes his calves off, he takes them home. They graze till, you know, from, oh, middle of November to about this time of year up on his ranch. And then he ships them to a feedlot. And then when they've reached their weights at the feedlot, then he sends them through to the slaughter. And that's when he sells. Okay. Um, but a lot of guys, like if I want to buy a cow or if I want to, you know, what I can contact my neighbor, any one of my neighbors, and I can buy a cow directly from them. I can oh, say, okay. I want to buy, you know, you can buy it either. People will raise, you know, a few beef every year for themselves, their family. And then they'll also have some on hand that they'll sell directly to people that want to buy. And then they just get a hold of the, the butcher, the slaughter place, and they'll load it up in their trailer and haul it down and have it taken care of that way. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. And that's kind of what we're looking at doing is we're, we only have a small place, but looking into having our own cows, raising our own little small herd to have to raise and do our own beef to have control over it a hundred percent. 